Hi everybody, you're very welcome to this week's episode of In The Lamplight. To start us off this week, we have a brand new piece of music from Kieran. Written only in the last few days, this is a development of our regular theme music, which Kieran has fleshed out into a proper piece, and we hope you enjoy it. Hello, everybody. 
and you're very welcome to this episode. Whoa, 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 whoa. 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 Hang whoa. on a second. Stall. As people may have realised, Kieran, from the title of this episode, you are going to be interviewed. So surely it doesn't make sense for you to start this episode, no? I'm just doing what I'm told, lads. <laughs> <laughs> So I, 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 I don't know what's happening, so uh, <laughs> lead, lead me on, Rory, lead me through it. To be honest, we don't really know what's happening either. Like, you know, we're, we're sitting here like we have this all planned and and, um, and researched and controlled, but really we're flying by the seat of our pants, aren't we, Rory? Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, the funny thing about this is for when you're trying to, like, develop an interview for somebody... Um, it's it, you think it'd be better if there's tons of of information about them, of which there is loads of information about Kieran. But what ended up happening was like, oh, it's been said, that's been done, that's been said. This is this story has been told. So now we're in a situation where it's like, what stories can we tell that people don't know? So I, I hope we've done that job correctly. Wow, yeah. right? Because okay. we reckon that's... we have a fairly unique track on in in terms of you know the podcast interviews that we've done. We reckon we have a fairly u- unique track on the inside Kieran Quinn. So hopefully we can cover ground that hasn't really been covered that much <laughs> wow. before. Wow, lads, <laughs> yeah. I look forward to this. Bring it on. It it kind of highlights the, the pressure that I suppose you feel, Kieran, when we're sitting down to record these and I'm just sitting here at, at the sound desk or as the case may be on Zoom or whatever and I just kind of have to react to you and, and talk. But you feel probably feel this pressure each time we sit down to do one of these episodes that you, you kind of have to steer this ship and is this going to be enough to fill the time and what questions sh- should I prioritise and, and stuff. So it's fairly kind of funny insight into how this usually feels for you. And last week I said that it was weird to feel like what it felt like to be behind the mic. So uh, this week it, it feels weird to be in Kieran's position. This was a really worthwhile um, task that we took on, like the interviewing each other. I'm getting a whole insight into everyone's world. And Kieran, yours is not easy, man. We're like uh, we're like Ajax in the 1970s, lads. This is like <laughs> it's like total football. We're all uh, all learning to play every position on the pitch. And uh, yeah, no, we'll we, we'll we'll go on to huge heights if that's the case. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, look, it, it, it's new for me too. Obviously, uh, it's you know to, to have to come come on to an episode and do absolutely no preparation. That's uh, bar bar that tune, I guess. That's 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 new for me. Uh, look, I mean, we're whatever. This is our thirteenth episode, possibly, lads, in terms of the podcast. Yeah. yeah, like I'm very new to this whole interview thing too. You know, you might feel new, but I've only done maybe 11 or 12 interviews in my life. So it's it's a new thing for me as well. But uh, yeah, look, I suppose what I find is you have a script or you have some things that you want to get across, but you won't, you won't get them all across in the interview because part of your job is to listen to the person's answers and they might bring you in a completely different direction. Yeah, yeah, that's fine, Kieran. Anyway, moving on. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> that was, that was uh, yeah, absolutely perfect. Because Kieran, actually, this is true. It's a true point you bring up um, in the sense that I was trying to map this whole thing, you know, like, like, but that, that may necessarily, might necessarily go that way. It may go a completely different way. So, so let's see how this one goes. Yeah. And just on the, on the music there that you've mentioned that that was really nice, beautiful. And uh, that's, that's obviously the second in our kind of series of varying our, theme music or intro to suit the guest each week or have been by the guest each week so do get in touch with us and let us know uh, if you like that one and uh, keep an ear out for the the rest of the variations coming over the next couple of weeks and let us know which ones you like 
Uh, right, Roy. Will we get into it? I think so. Right. So the first, uh, the first um, thing that we wanted to to prove right out of the gate, I suppose, not only can we handle this interview thing, but we also wanted to prove that you're not the only man on this podcast who can write a poem. Ah, oh, I was wondering about this. <laughs> yeah. So we have a little poem in, and uh, right, Roy, you want to take us away? Roy's going to start this. I'll give it a go. Okay. Our guest this week normally does this slot. But with the tables turned, we're giving it a shot. Two things you may know him for, music and sport. But to say that that's it would be selling him short. And selling him short would be no easy task at all, if for nothing else, because he's just that damn tall. (laughs) When it came to music, it wasn't an instant connection until a light bulb moment led him to find his own direction. With or without teaching, he took to the piano. Kieran and Keys, a perfect combo. And if ever a change was for the best, this was surely it. Because, as Elton John never said, don't shoot me, I'm only the cellist. (laughs) When it comes to the GAA, well, what need we say? He saw Sligo through their most recent heyday. He lined out with pride and his Sligo gear on, a black and white strip on a technical colour player that was our Kieran. But the GAA is tough on the sole and the knees, so he hung up his boots to spend more time with the keys. And for that, we're all the more fortunate because when you boil it down, this man brings so much to our humble town. He brings people together from so many musical corners and for that, many hearts are forever warmer. And any project he's involved in is bound to be a win. You ain't seen nothing like, like the, the mighty, mighty Quinn. <laughs> Very what good, lads. I, I knew I knew there was a poem in you. All these hidden talents we've heard about over the last few weeks. So uh, oh, that was great. Longer than any of my poems, I do believe as well. So uh, we were uh, well, we were we were dueling it. So we thought we'd give ourselves loads of airtime. Um, so, Kieran, you're very welcome to your own podcast. Thank you, Rory. So, look, when when we were doing our research and we were listening to other podcasts that you've done, um, a lot of people start by asking you straight away about music and how you learned your music and stuff. But I thought we'd take it in a slightly different direction to begin with. And I thought that we'd start maybe with sport, uh, if that's all right with you. Sure. So at one point in your life, you were a really, and probably still are, a really well-known sporting personality around about Sligo and uh, further afield as well. You seem really passionate about it and it's something that you've brought up regularly to us uh, at in the, in the Lamplight and when we were recording and you reference it fairly regularly. Yeah, and with the IX reference only a couple of minutes <laughs> yeah, ago as like, well. Yeah, like a couple of minutes ago, straight in with the sport. So I thought it'd be a nice place to start, if that's all right. Mm-hmm. Um, I just wonder what your earliest memory of being really passionate about sport was. When did you realise that sport was something you really wanted to give a go? Uh, I'd say I was 16, Couple of couple of key moments for me with sport. One was sixteen, and I was I was still under sixteen, uh, as in in my GAA age. So I was playing for the under sixteens here with the club. But at this point in my life, I was in boarding school. So you know, I had some friends from from the area, from from sort of Ransborough Strand Hill during primary school, and then I pretty much lost touch with them for three, four, five years as I went off to boarding school. And to be honest, I lost touch with with Sligo, really. You know, I didn't didn't spend much time here, didn't have any friends here, really. Uh, And so this summer, for some reason, I got back into football a little bit with the club and 
just towards the end of the summer, I was called in to play a game with the Miners, the Club Miners. We were playing this Curry. This is Calera, yes? Is it? It's Calera Strandhill. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. And we were uh, playing Curry in the Minor Championship, the first round of the Minor Championship. And Curry were shit hot. Like uh, they they had just, you know, they had five Sligo Miners. And this was a particularly hot, good Sligo Minor team. And we had some good players too. But myself and maybe three or four lads my age were called into the minor team. And I was playing cornerback, lads. Like I've never before or since played cornerback. Uh, but this day I was cornerback and there was a friend of mine out ahead of me, right wing back. And anyway, it was the most incredible game. It was out in Ballymoat and we uh, we arrived with about a minute to go before throwing. R- arrived onto the pitch, you know, a ramshackle outfit, but ran this amazing curry team to a point. Wow. And it was just a, just a ding-dong battle. It was my first experience of proper championship football and when we finished we all hopped in the cars you know disappointed uh but but proud of what we'd done and i remember the car i was in there was three or four of us and the other lads were living in strand hill and uh we drove past my house in ransborough on the way home and i said you know that's my house lads and i said oh yeah yeah you yeah. will drop the lads in strand hill home first and i said okay uh and they weren't dropping anyone home. We were straight to the Strand. <laughs> <laughs> so we're straight to the Strand in this little back cubby hole of the Strand, the old Strand as it was then. And I had about four pints that night. And it was just the most incredible feeling of community um, with that team and with those lads. You know, people who I hadn't really had any contact with in four or five years. We just had this mad experience together on the football pitch and we went went down the pub and had four pints as a 16 year old and it was it was just a buzz and look I could go on but but I think that's where it started for me so so when I got the opportunity at the age of 19 or 20 to come back into football um I think it was that it was that that drew me back you know that feeling and at 19 or 20 where did you find yourself back with Calero was it yeah, so uh, I obviously did my leaving. I went to Australia for a year straight after school. Spent a year in Australia, 18, 19. I came back from Australia, age 19. And before I went off to college, I got involved with the club again. And, you know, I, I just remember the same sort of thing, you know, uh, just lads looking out for me. It was, uh, it, was, it was the feeling of being part of something in my home area, something that I'd, I'd missed for, for six or seven years at that stage. And so got involved with Calera for a while and, and it was mad. Within six months, I was called into the Sligo panel, you know, for someone who hadn't played much football at all. Um, I was very raw, uh, but I was tall. I guess I, I had a good engine. I could play a bit of football and, and somebody somewhere saw something in me and, and, and brought me into the Sligo team from then. So it sounds it sounds a lot like what what you really found what kind of brought you to find that passion in football was just that you 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 kind of got that sense of camaraderie. Um, did you, when you were away at at boarding school and and stuff, did you were you playing sport there? And did you kind of find that sense of camaraderie there, or or was it just the fact that this was camaraderie at home in Sligo that made it feel a bit more special, or or what what was it that twigged that as a as a pivotal moment for you as opposed to sport you might have been playing away in school? Do you know? Uh, I suppose this is interesting. It's something I've thought about over the years. My my time in school. My time in school, I was a guy who was good at stuff, right? That was that that <laughs> yeah. was who I was, right? And and you know, people 
people had time for me and people looked up to me and people respected me. And, you know, a lot of nice people in my in my school, in my year. Uh, but I guess it's that time of life as well. I'm still trying to figure out who I am. And all I knew at that stage was that I was good at stuff. And I didn't really know who I was beyond that. Do you know? And it sort of took the year in Australia uh, where nobody knew anything about me uh, to to sort of figure out, OK, this is this is what I enjoy doing outside of, you know, academics or sport or music or whatever it might be, you know. And so then when I got back to Sligo, these lads didn't really know anything about me either. And, and you know, they'd known me six, seven years ago when I was 11 or 12 and I hadn't I hadn't really seen them since. So so it was they were just taking me at face value. Yeah. And, sure. and that was lovely. And, and just to be, come home, clean slate, uh, play football, get involved with the club. Just, it was just lovely. I just want to bring you back for a second to the to the Sligo team, if that's okay. Because as you said, it was a short space of time when you got back playing uh, football and back to Sligo. And then you got called up for the team. But I wonder what, what was that like? What was that feeling like to be called to play for your county? It was a bit daunting, Rory. I was clueless. Before I got called into the Sligo senior team, I was called into the under-21 team, which is a natural progression, I guess. And so our first championship match was in March of the year 2000. Uh, and I was I was called in, uh, you know, I was going well. I thought I was probably in with a shout of starting the, the first game against Galway. But a week beforehand, a friend of mine says to me, come on, we're going up Crow Patrick. Yeah. You know, I, I'm, I'm down, uh, I'm down for the, I'm down for the, for the weekend. We'll climb Crow Patrick. And this was March. And I said, grand, let's do it. Uh, and we got to, got to the car park in Crow Patrick. And, uh, this mate, Cisco is his name. And he says to me, come on, let's take off the shoes. I says, ah, lads, you're mental. You know, it's, 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 it's snow and it's hailstoning and, Anyway, he's this guy is very persuasive, and so he worked on me. And next thing I know, I'm walking up Crow Patrick barefoot a week before my first possible championship match for Sligo, <laughs> uh, and and I was I was you know me lads, I'm I'm determined, I'm stubborn, and if I if I put my mind to something, I'm going to do it, you know. And so like it was cold, and my my to be honest, my feet were numb, but I was getting to the top, and I was sort of forging ahead, and I was getting there as quick as I could. And so I got up the top and Cisco was a wee bit behind me, but he got to the top too. And it was great. We had a look and sort of said, I should probably put my shoes on for the way down. And so put the shoes on. This was grand uh, until about half an hour into the descent and my feet started to thaw. Right. And so yeah. <laughs> I, I could suddenly start to feel them again. And as soon as I could feel them, I knew something was up. So I had I had actually cut the bottoms of my feet to pieces while while climbing up the oh. mountain barefoot because I just couldn't feel them. Oh, you yes, know? So, yes, yes, yes. And Cisco was clever because he was taking it easy and he was watching his step and his feet were grand. But I had to, you know, and the bottoms of your feet, lads, you need them all the time. So I had to lay, I had to lay up in bed for the week and I had to ring the Mickey Moran, who was the, the manager of the, the under-21s at the time, and <laughs> Mickey, uh, <laughs> I'm not sure, can I come training this week? <laughs> oh yeah, Kieran, what, what happened you? <laughs> well, you'll never believe what happened to me, Mickey. <laughs> you know, the strangest thing, you know? It's funny because that was my next thing I was going to ask you. And the person who told me that little fact asked me to ask you specifically what was the decision-making process behind that decision? Because you did say, yes, you are determined and you, and you do... You fight forward when you make the decision to fight forward. But for Kieran Quinn, that seems so out of character. Well, for the Kieran Quinn, I know that's out of character. Surely, like, 
And when I heard that fact, I was like, Kieran Quinn didn't get called up for the under 21s for the Sligo team. And then, but you did, man. And I think that's, that's hilarious. Oh, it is. I, I, I guess, look, I didn't expect to cut my feet. You know, that, that, that was, and, but I didn't, I wasn't, I wasn't so immersed in the GAA at that stage that I knew the importance of this match the following week. You know, sure, it was, it was, you know, I was, I was delighted to be involved, but I didn't just get it so much at that stage. And so, you know, a couple of years later, there's not a, a chance you'd nearly go for a walk outside the house if you didn't have to, you yeah. know, in order to protect yourself and to look after yourself for the big match. But, but back then I hadn't a clue. And I, mean, to, to, I mean, to be fair as well, I mean, why would anyone expect to cut their feet walking barefoot up a mountain? No, that like is fair. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's brilliant, Kieran. So th- the other thing that I kind of get from you, but I want you to kind of maybe clarify it if you can, is like, are you competitive? Are you a competitive soul, a competitive person? I certainly was as a sportsman. Hmm. Absolutely. And would you consider like, I know you do a bit of running and that kind of thing. Do you like, are you competitive when you run or is that a personal thing? Uh, I get the feeling you're leading me somewhere. <laughs> I'm, here, not Rory, anywhere, <laughs> here. I'm not leading you anywhere. I'm not leading you anywhere. I know. I mean, uh, I certainly have a competitive spirit and a competitive instinct. And um, yeah, I mean, it comes out, it comes out in all sorts of uh, situations. One, one which you might be about to tell me about. Yeah, so, how do you feel when your brother beats you every oh, time? Oh, here, 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 here we go. Here we go. Here we go. I heard this, okay, and I want yeah. you to to tell me if this is true that yeah. that you're you're a, an avid runner for for fitness' sake, but your brother beats you uh, every year. Now you can tell me if I'm wrong, but every year when you do the Warriors run, but. Your brother has some small kids now, is that correct? He does. He's two and, small children. And you were um, scheming in the background to use the last two Warriors runs that couldn't go ahead due to COVID-19, or maybe just the last one, that you'd catch him at his weakness. And uh, while he's tired and didn't get his sleep and stuff, you you were going to, this was going to be your year. So how do you feel about not being able to do the run? <laughs> well, well, I, I had a feeling this might be where it was going, actually. Um, <laughs> and I didn't, <laughs> I didn't just want to burst your bubble, but, but okay, let me just be straight about something. My brother does not beat me every year. <laughs> That's the first thing to say. There's, uh, thankfully, I have beaten him many a year. Uh, but the crucial thing is he does have the record. He holds the oh, okay. the Quinn family record for the best Warriors run time. And uh, it was one year, I think possibly 2018, I got within 50 seconds of it uh, and and oh, was wow. bursting a gut down the hill in Strand Hill to try and beat that time, but uh, came up 50 seconds short. And yeah, look, I mean, he's, he's two years younger than me. He, he probably... He probably ran this this record time when he was in his early 30s. So, you know, I'm in my early 40s now. So time is against me. So I'm going to use any uh, any advantage I can possibly get <laughs> to try and uh, to try and beat that time. I'm determined to. But look, we'll, we'll see how we go the next few years. Uh, when the Warriors run comes back around, I'm going to have to get a quick conversation with Connor to see how his preparation is going to, to take yeah. on. That's great. I love a little bit of that. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. it has to be done. It has to be done. So we can't, unfortunately, talk about sport and your sporting life um, forever. We're going to eventually have to get to music. And I heard a really uh, a wonderful um, story um, about a friend of yours. And I'd like you to tell the story rather than me tell it, but about a challenge that you were given to combine your two passions, mm. uh, of which, which of one is obviously sport and then obviously the other one is music. What happened there? So this uh, happened in Donegal, 
I teach, or I have taught for the last eight or ten years up at the Donegal Summer School of Music in Letterkenny for a week every summer. It's a brilliant summer school. And uh, Peter Cran, you, you guys know Peter. Uh, I know Peter, uh, yeah. The, the percussionist from who lives around here from Dublin originally. And Peter would have taught on it for years as well. And I'd often meet him up there and we'd maybe go out for a pint during the week at some point. And uh, I'd say this was 2013 because that was the year I released my first album. And I was in the buzz of writing music. And so I was telling Peter all about this and I was hoping to release an album and I was writing tunes for the first time. And he says, look, well, why not write one trying to somehow combine football and music? You know, that seems a logical way for you to go. And so I said, yeah, geez, Peter, that's a great that's a great shout. And I remember driving home the, the following day uh, after the, the summer school was over on the Friday. And just this was this was running around my head, this challenge. And yeah, just came up with the melody on the way on the way down and sort of the feel of the piece I wanted and found it really interesting, actually, that at that point in my sort of musical career where I had played very little traditional Irish music, that that's what came out. Yeah, you know, it was a, it's 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 that it's really, you know, it's really rooted in that style, whereas some of the melodic notes maybe or the chord changes are are different. Certainly the feel of the tune is 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 right rooted in that style. For sure. And what did you call it? It's called the match. It's called the match, which I've I've heard the match many many times, and it is just one of those tunes that every time I, you've done the writing of that song, and I don't know the technical aspects of it, but you've done the writing of that song phenomenally. It feels like the buzz of a GA game. It feels like like the lad jumps up and he gets a slap, and <laughs> there's a bit of an oh, yeah. and there's a bit of a oh, he kicked a point, and yeah, I, I, it's br- brilliant, brilliant. So, um, uh, well, I must I must just point out it was written with a bit of help from Steve Wickham as well. It's not it's not solely my tune. Steve played actually on the. The original track back in 2013 and uh, Junior Davy also. So we had a great day up in Dublin. The three of us up in the car for the day, recorded the track. Lovely dinner on the way home. Job done. So we've had this track on the show before uh, in season one, but I think it's apt to play it. What do you reckon? Will we have a listen? Let's have a listen to your original uh, studio version with Steve and Junior. Thank you. 
So that was the match uh, written by Kieran Quinn with an assist from Steve Wickham. See how oh, I did that? You see the way I did a little bit good. of sporting reference there? That was it. That was, that was real radio. That was real radio. Um, and of course, featuring the phenomenal Junior Davy on the Baron. Um, so, uh, Jesus, I just haven't got a segue in me. Like, if this was Kieran now, <laughs> he'd have some smooth way to get right into to what we're talking about naturally, and it'd be like water off a duck's back. But uh, I, I just don't have that. Uh, I don't have that talent. Unfortunately. Not yet, Luke. Not yet. Not, not yet, yet. Not yet. But what we are obviously going to move into now is um, is music, and. I wanted to ask you about because uh, I've I've seen you in your blog before tell and and I've heard you tell the story several times about your little light bulb moment where where you were sitting in in in, in school one day or, or something and and you found with or without you going around in your head and and you realized that I can actually kind of make sense of the baseline there and if that's do and that's what and 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 that was a real breakthrough moment for you because you realised, oh, I can approach music like that. It doesn't have to be a, a classical learning and stuff. Um, what I wanted to ask you is, that obviously really feeds into your teaching. And and you try, uh, in your teaching, it seems like you actively now try and create that breakthrough moment for your students. Would that be a fair kind of analysis? Yeah, I think so, Luke. I, I learned for, I guess, maybe four or five years in primary school, the traditional way, you know, and I, I had a great teacher. It's, it's nothing to do with the lady who taught me, Kathleen O'Hara in the Ursuline there. Uh, you know, and she 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 did everything she could to try and uh, cater for my tastes, you know, and mum was mum would be bringing in pieces that weren't the traditional exam pieces and asking, could I learn this? And in fairness to her, she she accommodated me. But but then I got to, to, to board it to secondary school and the, the the head music teacher there it was it was there was none of that it was his way or the highway mm. and so two months in I was here right I'm not learning the piano anymore I don't want I'm just not doing this this isn't working for me um I'm not enjoying it good luck and thankfully I always say thankfully mum and dad were okay with that decision there was none none of you know no you have to keep going you have to get your grades there was none of that because if if that if they had really put the foot down at that point I may never have come back to it. You know, yeah. you probably gave them a, p- a pure deadly reasoning as to why, though, even in secondary school. It was like, hey, mom and dad, can I just speak to you quickly? I just have a power- PowerPoint presentation here that I'd like to just, uh, <laughs> just like to tell you about. Uh. <laughs> no, I don't think I was that eloquent at 13. No, but, uh, <laughs> anyway, yeah. So so gradually, I guess I, I, I sort of drifted back to the instrument. And and like you say, Luke, that was a light bulb moment. And look, as a teacher now, I would I would feel wrong. And I wouldn't enjoy it, if I'm honest, if I taught people to play the way I was initially taught because it didn't click for me. And so, you know, I don't think I would be a good teacher in to teach that method because, you know, I've no passion behind it. I've no reason to teach that way when it didn't work for me, you know, and, and I want to be very clear here. Like, you know, learning to read sheet music is a great skill and it's a it's a you know, it's, it's an important skill as a musician, especially if you work in certain areas. And I'm not saying it's, it, you know, it, it, I'm not saying it's, it, it was it was it was bad or it was the wrong way to teach or it is the wrong way to teach. It just didn't work yeah. for me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so personally, when I then go and teach students or people come to me to learn piano, I've made a conscious effort to try and teach them in a different way, because there's loads of really good teachers in Sligo who will teach you how to play the piano from sheet music. Um, 
so I wanted to be different, but I also wanted to do something I felt passionately about. Yeah. Like I always thought, why can you not learn the piano like the guitar is taught? Yeah. Do you know when the guitar is taught, you know, you learn a few chords of the songs you like, uh, so you can play all these songs first of all. Then you maybe learn a bit of a solo. You know, you're transcribing, you're you're trying to figure out the notes that your favorite guitarist played. Like that just that to me is a no-brainer. That's how I would love to learn the piano. And it's what I eventually got to, but it took me a long time to get there. Mm -hmm. And when you're, you know, when you're teaching and and you're trying to um, get get, uh, your students to kind of, I don't know whether open their minds up to this kind of way of, of hearing music. I don't know whether that's the right word. But like as, as far back as I remember, I don't ever remember a time in my life where I wasn't able to listen to a piece of music and kind of hear do or be able to pick out that melody. And so, but that kind of came to you at a later stage, which I think just proves that it's not something that anybody is innately born with. And it's absolutely something you can realize or can learn. Do you find that when you're teaching that you, you can get people to a stage where, where they absolutely didn't get this and didn't understand how this could be? but they actually then can learn it and listen to a piece of music and pick it out by ear or pick out dough. Yeah, I mean, there is, I heard this myth for years that you can either play by ear or you can't. And, it, it, you know, it's it's bullshit, lads. You know, it yeah. really is. But it, it's out there. And, some, and, and for people who can't do it right now, they feel I'll never be able yeah. to do it. But, you know, that is not true. That is not true in the slightest. It's a skill. It's like any other skill. It can be learned. It can be developed. And sure, some people like Luke are probably better at it initially than others. And they have a natural advantage at, at this because of the way their brain is wired or the, the amount of music they've been exposed to as a child or whatever it might be. But even, you know, and some people are going to find it very difficult and some people do find it very difficult, but everybody can improve at it uh, no matter what point you're starting from. And so absolutely dozens i don't know i i don't i don't know the number but i can think of countless students who've started off struggling to figure out happy birthday by ear mm. and and can end up learning to put chords to something themselves you know which is another skill altogether mm. so look I, I mean if if it couldn't be taught i'd be some bluffer at this stage lads <laughs> yeah, 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 <laughs> you know yeah, yeah. but it's true like i mean you use such a perfect analogy i i learned the guitar at, at one stage now unsuccessfully but the the way that it's taught is is straight away what songs do you like yeah. you know and then you now i don't know if it's the same with every guitar teacher and maybe not classic or spanish or something but it, that's what it is it's what what songs do you listen to give me and then i remember jerry grennan saying to me give me five songs and i'll pick the easiest one you know you're only starting i'll pick the easiest one for you to play yeah. and i don't ever remember because i mean when you do the grades you've got to go in and pieces of music you've never heard before pieces of you know and you're just kind of learning technical technical skills which don't get me wrong is are very important as well but i love the guitar thing because the guitar, guitar thing is all about like what songs mean something to you why how can you get that intru- instrument to aid you in creating that music and i just think it's great i think and the, the way you're teaching as well is it would suit me way better man so i'm sure it'll suit loads of other people as well yeah, it does. It suits, it, and it doesn't suit others, and that's fine. And there's people have come to me, and I said, Do you know, you're better off going to going to somebody else who'll teach you how to learn to read sheet music properly, because I can do it to a certain level. Mm-hmm. But I'm, you know, there's people out there who are way better better at it than I am, and so go to them. But if you want to learn by ear, and you want to learn, you know, how songs are put together, or you know, 
what chord structures, what chords are going to sound nice after a previous chord. Well, I'll, I'll go through all that with you and you'll, you'll, you'll see music in a different way, I suppose, you know, and that's what worked for me. So it's, it's what I like, what I like helping others with. It's interesting, your, your, your kind of approach to teaching, it seems to fall in kind of a, a really kind of niche middle ground between the traditional music educate. When I say traditional music, I mean trad music, Irish trad music, because mm. I think there are the, that's probably the two main ways that music education and instrument learning happens is either the, the trad music thing in this country or, you know, classical music and more formal learning. And the trad music thing, and I've personally experienced this, sets you up to play in basically three keys, D, G and A, because most trad music is in those keys. And the second you try and go outside those keys, you're like, Jesus, my fingers haven't learned how to move this way or <laughs> and then the classical thing can often leave you not able to really improvise. Mm. Um, and I mean, there are exceptions to this, like Shemi O'Dowd will walk into any room and pick up any instrument and play it in any key better than you. Yeah. <laughs> and Neve Crowley, you know, classical music education, but she can play whatever she damn well pleases on yeah. the violin because she's just that good. But I think you fall in nice middle ground and it must be gratifying for you to see people come out the other side of that and then sit down in, in like a, a group and, and jam or, or play. And, and and see them enjoying that. Yeah, that's and that, that's what a lot of people want, especially adults when they come back to the piano. They're here. I just want to be able to sit in a group and play along, mm. you know, and know what if if they, if they say it's in the key of D. Well, OK, I might not get every chord right, but if I know sort of what ballpark to go for, then, you know, I'll be happy and I can just jam and I'm not lost. And, you know, I can I can just play away. It's interesting, actually, though, Luke, as regards the, the trad thing. You know, I love when a trad when, when someone comes to me who's previously learnt uh, traditional music because their ear is going to be lethal. Yes. You know, that's trad music sets you up to have a brilliant ear, you know, so they're coming into me. And as you say, they might need a bit of help playing in certain keys, but they're at a huge, huge advantage already because yeah. they're picking out melodies all the time, you know, um, which is, you know, something some just before actually Nixie went to her first trad piano lesson. The, uh, I think it was the first week of March last year. You know, I was very keen for her to get some traditional education because I think it's just it's brilliant for your ear, you know. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, let's move on. Um, that, that That's a really kind of good insight into your teaching. And as I said, I've, I've heard you um, tell that story before many times and I've always kind of wanted to ask those questions and follow up, but I've never had the opportunity. But let's go back to when you are yourself going through music education, I suppose, and you are, you're in, um, you went to New Park, is that correct? That's right, yeah. Music. So that that that's uh, I don't know too much about it, but I presume that's just a music college of of some sort. Does it specialize in any particular type of music? Uh, it specialized when I was there in jazz. Right. So there was a a a, th- a course called a professional musician training course, and again, you know, I remember seeing this course advertised in the classified section of the Irish Times one morning mm. when I was living in a house in Drumcondra. I was working in a job renting houses. So I need to stop you there for a second. I could not believe you did this job. I yeah. could not believe you rented <laughs> houses. It was on my sheets. I just had to tell you, I couldn't believe it. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah. And then, like, you know, it, it wasn't a job that suited me, but the fella who employed me is one of the biggest legends I've ever met in my life. Like this oh, yeah? guy, this guy managed us actually in my final year in Trinity. He managed the football team. His name was Vincent Kelly. He was from Cavan. And he was a larger than life personality, you know, a true, 
a true legend in so many senses. And, and I went off traveling for a while after college, came back, hadn't a clue what I was going to do. Right. Really was lost, really lost in my <clears throat> life. Yeah. You know, and and Vincent gave me this job and he also put me up in his house rent free with him and his <laughs> wife and his dog. And, wow. you know, he was just he was just such a he just got me at a time when I really needed somebody to look after me in Dublin. And he he was just amazing anyway. But the job he gave me did not suit me. You're right. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it, it kept me off the streets for a while, I suppose. Um, but one morning in his house reading the paper, I saw this ad for this course. And and for the first time, it was like, OK, this is something I could actually do. You know, I could I could possibly give this a shot for the rest of my life and and, and enjoy it and be challenged by it. And so I auditioned. Uh, I got in. I uh, did the the one year professional musician training course and that's it, lads. It changed my life. You know, I'm not exaggerating. Uh, you know, I'd, I'd rarely played with anybody before. So I'm 24 at this stage and bar a couple of lads in Sligo when I was a teenager, maybe one or two lads in school for, you know, for brief periods of time, I had never played with anybody. Wow. Right. And so, and so I got into music college and... I was put in a, an ensemble. And so in the ensemble was Steve Coleman, would you believe, who we all know, married to one of our guests on the show last season, Sinead Conway. And an absolutely phenomenal drummer. Phenomenal right. drummer. Well, yep. Steve and I were in the same year in college and we were put in the same ensemble. In a different ensemble was Dave Flynn, uh, who has who also since moved to Sligo. Yeah, uh, And Dave gave us his rant last week on, on, on Rory's episode. He did indeed. And so... And so <laughs> You know, those two lads were in... Now, I didn't get to play with Dave that much in college, but, you know, I was put in with Steve, with a bass player, Tommy Moore, a guitarist, Peter O'Grady, uh, and a singer called Karen. And and we got to make music for three hours every Wednesday afternoon, be it writing tunes or arranging tunes or playing, playing, playing tunes, whatever it was. And lads, that was just it. Like, that was, that was just heaven. Right? I, I'd never experienced anything like that. Mm. Went to a group of, of, of musicians, lads who knew what they were doing, who talked in musical language uh, and like they were good. They were way ahead of where I was at that stage. But, but you know, I, I clung on to them and I dragged myself up beside them as best I could. And and I came out every Wednesday at five o'clock on top of the world, just like, oh, lads, this is just it. I don't want to do anything else. And so and so, you know, it was a year professional musician training co- course. Uh, then there was a, an extra three years if you wanted to get a degree in jazz. I did one year. Uh, I didn't want to go too deep into jazz, if I'm honest. And I also was 25 at this stage and wanted to get out and earn a few quid. Sure. Um, mm-hmm. So I left after two years of that college. Um, but but I can honestly say it changed my life. And uh, you mentioned Dave Flynn there. And although he wasn't in those jam sessions with you, um, that is where you first met him. And you ended up in a Stevie Ray Vaughan uh, cover band with Dave is that right? <laughs> that was my first <laughs> obviously we had, the, first... we had we had the college band but then my first proper band outside of college was uh, it was Cold Shot which was Dave nice. Flynn's Stevie Ray Vaughan tribute band absolutely with myself Steve Coleman um, Dave and a bass player called James Little was the four of us and can I ask you at that point in your life did you own a keyboard? I think I had a, I had something to practice on. Right. Um I think I, I must have had something to practice on in my room, but it was it was one of those um 
it wouldn't be called a keyboard. It was like a digital piano that couldn't really be transported. Right. Oh, so yeah, okay. I, I had one of them, but I could not, I couldn't bring it anywhere. You know. So what? You hold on now. So what you're saying to me is that you weren't arsed getting your one, admittedly bulky, but one digital piano to a gig. But you were okay to let Dave Flynn arrive with a keyboard for you, a bass amp for the bass player, a guitar for himself, his own guitar amp. You were okay to let Dave Flynn do all that, but you weren't arsed. Hauling it was your a, it was piano. a bit like um, it was a bit like Croke Patrick Luke. I was a bit I was a bit I was just a bit clueless. <laughs> oh sure, oh, sure. And sure, Dave, sure. in fairness, Dave wanted to get this band off the ground, and and he ah oh, look, he just he just did everything. He was amazing. We rehearsed in his in his house. You know, he put the arrangements together. He booked the gigs. Uh, he 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 booked the taxi, the, the like the six seater taxi. Um, that would horse in all the gear from Harold's Cross where he lived into town to the gig. Um, so yeah, look, <laughs> only for Dave, like that band would not have happened or or worked in any way. But I soon learned, all right, you're going to have to get something here that, that you can carry around with you. Dave also spoke about, because uh, obviously I have spoken to Dave, but he, he mentioned the Sgt. Pepper project that he worked on. And he said that when you rang him, to, to ask him if he'd like to be involved in that. I think you were you were settled back in Sligo at that stage. He was living in 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 Wexico <laughs> and down in Wexford. And um he said he spoke to you on the phone and you outlined the project to him and he hung up and he said, That man's mental. <laughs> That's never gonna happen. Not in a million years is that what, ever gonna what happen. What was the the, pro- the project? Do you want so, to give a brief outline of yeah, the project? Yeah, so Kira? this was 2010, lads. And, you know, by this stage, I'd probably been working as a musician for, I don't know, four years. Uh, and, you know, largely doing pub gigs, maybe the odd wedding. Uh, and I, I had a I had a bit of a hankering to try something in a theatre, in a theatre environment, you know. Mm. And so I was I was huge into the Beatles at this stage. And... You know, I approached Kieran McCauley. I would have known Kieran's family for years. Kieran's an actor here, a professional actor here in Sligo. I approached Kieran with the idea, and we sat down for a pint in Sunny Breeze one night and hatched the idea. And yeah, we 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 carried it through. You know, it was a it was a a theatre or a musical adaptation of the album where we we went through every track in the album, some some true to the original, and some you know with our own. Uh, adaptations of the tunes Kieran sort of told the story of the album uh, like as a narrator um you know as we went along through the show and we had you know we'd we'd Eddie Lee Ken McDonald Dave Flynn Sinead Conway myself Joe Hunt this was Joe's first gig back singing in a long time I think you know with Joe Hunt we had uh, the four lads the four barbershop lads Mickey Murray Tommy Bree John McHugh Liam cool. Cunningham with cool. Kelly Hughes uh, Kelly was singing and and you know helped us stage it, and um, with Joe's daughter Laura came in and was our stilt. She came in on on stilts at one stage. Nice. Uh, apologies if I'm forgetting anybody, but uh, that yeah. So we we had great crack. We performed it in the factory for a few nights, and we we, we you know we we brought it around the country a bit to to Donegal to Dublin. Um, yeah, it was it was it was great, and it really gave me the taste of doing something in a theatre where people wow. are there to listen to you and that that, mm. that, that, that sort you should of turned me around that You way. should try musical theatre Karen. <laughs> that sort of thing why not <laughs> Never know Rory you never know <laughs> I think we do um, but that that's basically what Dave w- was getting at that that you presented this like seemingly bonkers project to him 
And next thing he knew, he was in the front room of your now wife, maybe then wife, I don't know, Sinead mm. McGuire's house, yeah. rehearsing for this thing. And it, 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 I got a great quote from Dave. He said, that was when he realized that this man says more than his prayers. It's a great <laughs> quote. It's a great quote. Right? And, <laughs> you know, and I have seen that as well from knowing you for a few years now, that you get an idea and you execute it. You pull it off and you figure out exactly what you need to do to execute it. And you do it and then you say, what's next? And you move on. Mm. If mm. anyone else said, do you know what? Let's go and play Vicar Street. You'd be saying, you are in your arse going to go and play Vicar Street. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know? for sure. But, yeah. you, but you say it and everybody goes, yeah, sure. <laughs> Fine. He, he'd pull it off. He, he, he'd work that. Um, and that's something that, a lot of people that I spoke to said about you is that you you just have an amazing ability to organize things and to take a project from where, you know, where some people might have this great conversation over pints one night and say, yeah, I want to do it. And then like, it's never actually going to happen. You just make these things happen. What is it, do you think, that drives you to, to just... Cr- dream up these projects or take someone else's idea and run with it and actually make it happen. Do you get a kick out of that? I'm sure I do, Luke, you know. Uh, it's funny, I remember in my early days as a musician, a great friend of mine sort of, you know, challenging me and saying, what are you up to? You know, this fellow knew me. He was one of the one of the, one of the the lads I sort of played football with in primary school and then, you know, uh, would have reconnected with at the age of 16, 17 and played football with him for Calera all through the years. Tony Waters is his name. He lives, or he, you know, he's from Strand Hill originally, now lives in Limerick. Really good friend of mine. And he challenged me sort of in my late 20s, probably around the age you lads are now. And, he, you know, I was playing a few sort of, you know, a few gigs, which were grand, which were great for me at the time. Um... And I was teaching a bit, but Tony says, there's more in you, man. There's way more in you. I know what you're like and I know, you know, what you're capable of. And he says, there's more in you than what you're doing. And, uh, you know, I, I'm not saying that was the turning point, but I certainly remember him saying that. And right at the time, to be honest, there wasn't more in me because I was learning. I was learning how to play the piano at a decent level and I was learning how to gig and I was learning that you needed a keyboard to play a gig. Simple (laughs) things like that. You know, I was learning all that stuff at the age you are now, lads. Um, You know, and and uh, and Tony, you know, Tony, I remember him challenging me and that was grand, but he was right. You know, there was there was more in me, but I had to put I had to put those years in first to, to actually, you know, learn my trade before I went doing anything else. But but once I sort of was a bit more confident about being a musician and what it took to be a musician and, 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 you know, what it took to lead a gig and to, and to organize a gig and to book a gig and all those things you have to learn. Then I started, I suppose I started thinking of things I'd like to do and look, lads, you're only here. You're only, you're only here once. And so I'm not going to spend my time uh, doing things that don't challenge me or don't interest me. And so look, if I'm, if something comes to me and I think it's a good idea, it may not turn out to be a good idea. But if I think it's a good idea at the time, uh, I'm I'm not gonna I'm not gonna leave it on the shelf. You know, I'm gonna go yeah. for it. Yeah, and yeah. I look, there's no point doing it otherwise for me. I think it's just, you know, you're you're, you're gonna live with regret, regrets otherwise. Karen, what did your football colleagues call you on the pitch? Uh, <laughs> few things. <laughs> Depends if I was playing with them or against them, and if I was playing well or not well at the time. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. Did you have a nickname though playing football? 
I guess. Quinner? Is that what you're looking for? No. No, it's, no. It's, it's, it's certainly <laughs> not. Uh, will I tell them? Yeah, you go for it, Rory, because I could think of a few things. You could think of a few. Okay, well, is it true that your mates on the football pitch called you 590? That was one of the names they called me, yeah? <laughs> yes. <laughs> and can you explain to our lovely listeners as to why they might call you 590, Karen? Uh, well, I guess you brought up the topic of, of leaving Sir points last week, Rory. Yes, and I certainly did. You certainly did. So look, <laughs> let's uh, let's leave it at that. Let's let the listeners figure it out for themselves. Sure, sure. Um, so Kieran got 590 points in his leaving, Sir. That's what <laughs> he's trying to say Just in case anyone out there was still in any kind of doubt. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Which is an absolutely phenomenal achievement. And I mean, congratulations. Um, and it doesn't surprise me, but what I wanted to ask you based off that is, having got that like phenomenal score, the whole world of academia, whatever you wanted really was open to you. And you went and you did get a degree and was it psychology? Psychology and philosophy, yeah. Psychology and philosophy. So even then having that degree under your belt, there's still a massive world of academia uh, and, and, you know, I suppose medical related practitions and stuff open to you. When you kind of made the decision that actually I want to be a musician, did you ever feel that you had something to prove in having made that decision? You know, if you had other friends or, or colleagues or family or that had kind of, you know, what I suppose people in an old fashioned sense would say, real jobs, because I think the, <laughs> I think the musician, because I get this, like the musician career gets looked down on. So people say, I, and come here, are you still at the music? And you're like, yeah, yeah, well, yeah, yeah. yeah, that's my job. Like, you know, you don't say to Rory, are you still at the barbering? <laughs> you know, because that's his job. <laughs> mm-hmm. Did yeah. you ever feel like you had just something to prove and I've made this decision and I'm going to show everybody that I can make it work like you've never seen? I don't think so, Luke, actually. And, and it surprises me because that's the sort of thing that would sometimes you know, motivate me. Mm. But I don't think I ever had that with music. You know, a couple of people, especially uh, I remember some some sort of old teachers from school having a, not not like having a go, but having that sort of, you know, that sort of thing you just said, like, are you still at the music or, you know, when are you going to stop that? And look, I mean, that's just an attitude that, that annoys me. And it made me think less of the person who said it to me, to be honest. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, of course, I mean, you know, there's a lot of medicine in my family on both sides, mum and dad's. Dad is a doctor, a GP. You know, mum's father was a doctor, her brother. You know, there's a lot of medicine on both sides and it would have been possibly a natural way for me to go. But lads, you don't want me, if you, if you know, <laughs> if you're, if you faint, sure, I, I, I mean, I'm terrible for fainting. I, I got a, I was doing these box jumps one day as part of a routine and uh I, I, split, I, you know, I, I, came, I didn't quite make the last one or whatever. I was tired and, and I, I split the front of my shin off the side of the box uh. and I needed stitches. So I rang dad and said, dad, I'm in, I'm in bother here. Any chance you put a few stitches in? He says, Grant, come into the surgery. So he puts three stitches in um, and next thing, you, next thing you know, I'm, 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 I'm out cold. <laughs> you know, I'm just so squeamish. You know, you don't want... Uh, you don't want me uh, being your doctor. And I knew that. And while well, the whole thing of working with people and caring with people uh, appealed to me, I knew from the word go, I wasn't going to be a doctor. Mm. Thought maybe about, mum's a psychotherapist. I thought maybe about going down that line for a while. Um, but at the age of 24, 25, when I was making these decisions, you sort of need to be, you know, you need a bit more life experience than that, I think, to, to, to be good at that job. Mm. Um, and to be honest, music, it was the, just the only thing. Like I was, 
I was thinking about all these different areas. You know, I was good at maths. That was a particular strength of mine. I did work experience uh, in an actuary's office when I was 16. You know, I was convinced that maths was the thing for me at that age. And with, with the greatest respect to any actuaries out there, you know, this, the people, the, just the, the particular people who worked in this office, I just did not want to end up like them. And, right. <laughs> uh, and, and that just, that immediately put me off that, that career choice. <laughs> <laughs> and I think I hope they to be honest, I just, to this podcast because oh, they do well, we've just lost them but <laughs> well, they, won't rem- they, won't, they won't remember me that was like six, the age of 16 but like it was just the case that I it was the only thing I just kept ruling this out and ruling that out and ruling the other out and and finally it was just if there's nothing else lads I, you know it's just going to be I'm going to have to give this music a go it's the only thing that excites me do you know um, and that's the only reason you ever need to do something, you know. Yeah. I just want to. That that was it. And and look, I'm sure members of my family or, you know, people who, you know, cared for me were were possibly, okay, let's see where this goes or let's see how this turns out for him, you know, because it, it was a big call. As you say, I, there was lots of things I could have done, but there really wasn't lots of things I could have done. There was really only one thing I could have done. And that's, yeah. what it came, that's what it came down to. Fabulous. Well, if anybody ever doubted you, they've um, been proved well and thoroughly wrong at this <laughs> well, stage. Well. I have one more question before we kind of move off this um, section. Yeah. Um, yeah. You have some of the best people management skills of anyone that I've ever met. Right. Um, you just, you're such, you're an eternal diplomat. It's probably another thing you could have done. Um, <laughs> do you ever find your psychology um, background coming into how you approach situations and deal with people? Like, I don't think so, Luke. I think, to be honest, I chose to study psychology because I was interested in people. I don't think necessarily anything I learned in that degree has benefited me in dealing with people. I think it's sort of the other way around. I was naturally always interested in what makes people tick and uh, how to connect with them and how to get the best out of them. Um, The degree was a bit of a disappointment for me, to be honest. Mm -hmm. It was too scientific. I think there's more of an art there should be more of uh, there should be more of an art to psychology, but these these guys in the particular department I was were, were determined to prove themselves as a science. I I didn't particularly agree with that, and but but look, I've read loads of books on the topic. I've I read a lot about sporting coaches, sporting you know successful sporting coaches and how they get the best out of their players. That is a huge interest of mine, and and possibly some some things like that have rubbed off on me, you know, but. Um, I don't think it was the psychology degree. Cool. That's an interesting answer. Um, let's move on. Do you want to talk to us a little bit about uh, one of your upcoming projects? You have a project uh, coming up, an online show coming out this Friday, yeah. part one, called Not A Team Night. Not A Team Night. Yeah, well, look, we've all worked very hard in this, lads, and are working very hard in it. Um, thanks to you both for all your work on it. It's it's called Not A Theme Night because it's not a theme night, you know, Uh I initially thought, let's try and do some sort of theme night. We we have, as you both know, done two virtual theme nights since since the pandemic began. Uh, but the further we got into this project, the clearer it was to me that this couldn't be called a theme night. There were just too many people that couldn't be involved. Um, part of the theme night is the is the is the sheer size of it, and the the just the the, the amount of people who take part and who contribute on and off stage. And that is that is such a huge part of the theme nights for me that when it became clear that those numbers were going to have to be severely diminished 
And when some people who who are the heart and so have been the part of the heart and soul of the team nights over the years, when it was clear that they couldn't be a part of it, I just thought it's not it's not right to call this a theme night. Um, that being said, I believe it's going to be every bit as entertaining as a theme night. It's 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 not a theme night, but it's different to a theme night. But I think it's going to be great. Yeah. It has we have we still have a great lineup despite the fact that that plenty of people couldn't be involved. Uh, we have included some original music, you know, Luke, you have a tune in there. I have a couple of tunes in there. Shami O'Dowd, Steve Wickham, Neve Crowley. Uh, I'm, I'm sure I'm leaving some people out, but there's a lot of original music in there. And there's also some some amazing covers and some amazing adaptations and interpretations. There's some stuff we never played before. There's a tune Neve Crowley even had to practice. To, oh, my to, God. To, yeah. Oh, I my mean, God. There's a duet between Tabby Callahan and his mother. <laughs> which is rocking. Which is yeah. rocking. Bridgie Callahan, what a, what a singer, what a performer. You know, um, there's, there's Dave Flynn tearing up a Stevie Ray Vaughan set. There's so much in it. And we also have a, f- have a few chats, you know, a few short chats throughout the show. So we have some great stories, again, from Dave on the time he was asked to change his name by another person called Dave Flynn. We have, uh, <laughs> we have, a, we have a, a beautiful story from Sandy Kelly on, on wh- why she gets emotional singing the, the Isle of Inish Free. We have Steve Wickham telling us about how he's back at college. You know, we've, we've loads of really interesting stuff about what musicians are getting up to during the pandemic. And we split it into two parts because there was just too much to put in, into one show. So one part is going out uh, this week on Friday the 19th of February at 8 o'clock and the following week Friday the 26th of February we'll see part 2 but you can buy this show to watch at any point um, during the next 10 days and watch it in your own time um, so tickets are available in the Hawks on the Hawkswell Theatre's website there check out Not A Theme Night um, and yeah look I mean as you know, it's 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 coming together nicely, and I can't wait for people to see it. Yeah, yeah I I can't wait either. Um, yeah. Ha, yeah, having worked on it as well, it's one of them ones that you're kind of like itching to put out, you know, for people yeah. to see. So yeah. definitely yeah. get tickets to it, folks. Don't miss it; it'll be yeah. great. And I think uh, are we going to just give people a little uh, a little sneak preview now, a little audio preview of Ooh. that? We're going to play a little piece from the show. Yeah, look, uh, this was one of the highlights for me. Um, if I'm honest, it's one of my favourite pieces of music that I've written over the years. Uh, I wrote it in 2019 and it was written as a solo piano piece, but I'd always heard, I'd always heard Neve on it uh, or a violinist. And so during the early months of the pandemic, I I, I arranged the violin part. Um, I wrote most of it out and then this project gave me an excuse to finish it. So I presented cool. it to Neve and and it's 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 a, it's the two of us playing playing this song or this tune which which I entitled something beautiful. Yeah, and that is an apt title because it is absolutely beautiful. So here we go. This is uh, Kieran Quinn and Neve Crowley on a piece written by Kieran and arranged by Kieran and this is called Something Beautiful.
so that was something beautiful. And as Luke said, it was something beautiful. But Kieran, I want to get back to asking you a couple of questions just before we finish up, if that's all right. Sure, Rory. Dude, a question I always wanted to ask you because, okay, people may and may not know this story, so I'll just give a very brief um, synopsis of it. You were born in Australia. Neither of your parents are from Sligo. You, you, your childhood you spent here, but then went to boarding school in Dublin. Uh, then you lived in Dublin and you went to Trinity. Um, and then after Trinity, you went to Sydney. So, I mean, a, a small portion of, we'll say that section of your life was spent in Sligo. But what brought you back here? What 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 brought you here and what made you want to settle here? God, it's a good question. I think at the time it was football. So I moved back here full time at the start of 2007. As you say, I'd been in Dublin at that stage for probably seven or eight years since I since I went to college. Um and I moved back here in 2007. Now, I'd been up and down gigging and I'd, I'd had, you know, I had a fair few piano students here at that stage, but I was still living in Dublin. And yeah, I just, I think 2007 came and I had not played football properly for Sligo for a couple of years at that stage. I certainly didn't play for Sligo for two years and, and started 2007. Uh, Tommy Brehany took over and he says, Kieran, what's it going to be? You're going to come in. And so I said, OK, I'm going to give I'm going to give this a proper go. Uh, give Sligo football a proper go this year and I you know there was other years where I'd only go back in February and do my own training up to February and and sort of come in and 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 you know join the rest of the panel to, at February and you know it's it's not right you're just not in the shape you could be in so this year I went back in November and did the full year's training and um, you know moved back to Sligo for most of that year and this was all great and, it, and it, it, it contributed to me having probably the best season I ever had for Sligo that year. You know, the fact that I was in Sligo training with the lads, you know, for the for, for the entirety of the season. Uh, but while I was here, I just sort of figured, you know, it was great not to have to travel. Like up to then, every weekend for the previous six, seven years of my life, I'd gone to Sligo on a Friday and I'd travel back to Dublin on a Sunday. And like that's almost a full day out of your out of your week every week, sure. and and all of a sudden it was like, okay, I could live here, and and you know part of me was I'd never considered living in Sligo really, uh, up until then, because you know I I travelled and I was here and I was there and I didn't have a clue where I was going to settle, um, but all of a sudden it just became clear to me that this place is good. There's, 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 you know, there's, there's plenty going on musically. I'm enjoying my football here. I'm enjoying spending time here. I'm living in an apartment in Strand Hill, which is an awesome place to live. For sure. Uh, you know, and, and I just like, I, you know, I, I started looking at sunsets out me, out my bedroom window and saying, Jesus, like, why, why would you go anywhere else? You know? And yes. so just bit by bit. I started to get a foothold here musically, started to meet people, started to get playing with people. And and no more than I just described about the music, all of a sudden it was just, there's nowhere else I'm going to live. Mm-hmm. It's, it's going to be here, you know. And uh, a few months later, I met Sinead, met Sinead in 2007. And she was similar. She'd, she'd been in Dublin for ages, just moved back to Sligo, very similarly to me. Um, and I guess that was the final piece in the jigsaw. Ah, oh, cool, man. Yeah, yeah. well said. So... 
you you established yourself not long after that in the musical world of Sligo um, and you, I suppose, developed your theme nights then um, starting in Source uh, because they had a grand piano. Is that correct? Yeah, lovely baby grand in Source, yeah. And then... You so so what you've done then so what you did then was uh, you were part of um, fostering some of the musical community in Sligo through your team nights. For example, having people play on a stage that have never played together before or may not have got the opportunity to play t- together. You know, I only bring up the team nights because I wanted to ask you a question about your teenage team nights. Just what you were saying earlier on about teaching, um, about the way that you liked to learn. Um, but then I, it's not lost on me. You're a very busy man. I've heard all about your lists uh, and your diary and uh, <laughs> setting goals in your diary and getting a kick right? out. Right? Uh, let me just ask you about this. Do you get a kick out of knocking goals off your, out of your diary? Is that one of the, the things for you that keeps you motivated? Uh, I'm not sure. No, I, I, I mean... It- I have certain things that I like to, I think improvement comes out of little morsels, you know, out of little bits, but they have to be consistent. So if you're training to be a better footballer or a better runner, you can do three months great training, but if you take the next two months off, you're back to square one. Sure. Right. And so it's the same with, with if you're, if you're just trying to keep fit or if you're trying to become a better composer or if you're trying to sleep better at night. Whatever it might be that you're trying to improve in your in your life at the time, I believe it it comes about um, as a result of small but steady and consistent improvements. And so, yeah, I, I, I have certain things that I like to tick off every day. I guess that 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 are that are bringing me closer to where I want to be in terms of certain certain areas of my life. Somebody that I spoke to said that if you ever write something in your little uh, book, that it's going to happen. Is that right? It's like willing something to willing something into existence. Kieran writes it in his book that that's it. It's a lock. <laughs> I'm not sure anyone has seen these books, so I, I'd love to know uh, how these people so, them, know we, so much about my we, book. We know all of them. <laughs> <laughs> but I suppose uh, why I started that, Kieran, was to get round to the the teenage team nights. You know, and you're you're a busy man, but you still find time to give a platform. Um, to to young people, and I'm sure that's quite difficult, given that for people that don't know all the young people, they choose their own music, um, and then uh, you will you give them the opportunity to do that. But how in such a and you've maintained that for a long time. So how in such a busy schedule do you stay motivated to keep all these things going, and just in particular the teenage theme nights? Well, th- I, look, I mean. You have priorities, you know, I have lots of things on Rory for sure, but I have priorities and the teenage team nights is, is way up the top of that list. Do you know, it's, it's, it's right up there in terms of things that I do not want to see stop or die off. Um, I, I mean, look, you don't have to be Freud to figure out. It probably comes from, from my experience as a teenager and, and not having any platform and, and not having any musical friends or colleagues or people that I, I I played with or could play with. I didn't have any of that. And so I got a huge kick out of out of seeing Sligo's teenagers get that, you know, um, and if I can be some part of helping that to happen, well, then I think it's 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 a, a worthy and, a, and, a, and an important thing to do. But but it's not just 
because I think it's a good thing to do. It's because I love doing it, do you know? And I get, I get, I just get a great buzz off it. Like the very last, the very last um, teenage team night we did live. Sorry, I, I, I must qualify this. We did one live in October with a limited audience in the Hawkswell Theatre. Yeah. Um, but before pre-COVID, the last one we did live with a full theatre was in the model in January. It was the, it was the weekend I turned 40, actually, it turned out to be. And like we had an amazing weekend. We had four shows throughout the course of the weekend. We had Friday night, Saturday night, Sunday night and a matinee on Sunday afternoon for the new TYs. And each of the shows, like, you know, the balcony on the top of the model mm-hmm. along the side. Yes. So on each of those shows, there's 40 or 50 teenagers standing up, dancing, cheering, roaring their friends on. Uh, willing each performer into the best performance they've ever done. The atmosphere was just electric, you know. I, I mean, you can't beat that, you know. As 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 someone in that age group, to have that, like, to have a musical event to be the center point or or such a focal point in your in your year, like, I would have killed for that, and I would have yeah. just eaten it up, and I would have loved it, and I, you know, and so. There's, pl- there's so many of these teenagers who, 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 who feel like that and I see it in them and you see it, you see it in how many of them have, have gone on to have an interest in music afterwards and are still playing and are still involved. Excuse me. Oh, and he's so, getting emotional. Well, <laughs> I, I, you know, I just, I just, it's, it's just hugely important to me and in fairness, it, it was Georgie Gorman's idea and he, he saw the success of the adult ones and he says, Kieran, you should do this for teenagers and, and it was such a brilliant idea and I think we've done, we've done 20 or 21 at this stage, Rory, and like, you know, I hope to do 50 or 100 or whatever, whatever time allows, you know, I, I just yeah. don't want these to stop. I think they're, I think they're brilliant and like I say, they're great for the teenagers but they're also great for me, you know. Yeah. yeah. I think that's a beautiful thing, like, I I had like plenty of experiences in musical theatre growing up and, and along with Rory as we spoke about last week you know we did these shows and got that you know wonderful sense of camaraderie among younger people and us all supporting each other and stuff but it was a long time after that before I got my first experience of that musically you know I was in trad band in school and I might have sat in a, a cultus youth session the odd time but it was a long time I, I'd say I was probably past 18 maybe even I must have been at least 18 before yeah. I had that that oh wow this is music this can be this wow yeah. yeah so it's 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 wonderful that you're you're given that to teenagers but do you know what else it is though now that just just hearing you talk there Luke it's also I think linked to what I spoke to you about at the very start of this chat was me being 16 and finding some sense of community and camaraderie in the Calera minor team. Mm. Yes. You know, that I had been missing out on in my teenage years, really. And and I think that these guys, you know, they, they come out of these nights with, with friends for life and, 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 and really strong friendships and relationships with other peers who are musical. And isn't that amazing? Like, yeah, you know, if, 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 if I could have, if any of us could have had that at that age, I'm sure we would have, you know, you just would have loved it. It would have just, mm. it would have just been the center of your life. And so, look, I, I know you're saying, Luke, and I appreciate it, that it's great to put it on for them. And, and look, it is, but 
you know, it's it's also brilliant for me. I love working with them and, you know, seeing them develop into young adults and and where, you know, there's there's, there's so many of them working so hard at their music now. And I just can't wait to see where, where it brings them all, you know, and, and what sort of talent we have in this place in, in 10 years time or 20 years time. You know, it's just it's brilliant. But I suppose that is your musical foothold in Sligo is creating communities like from what from the outside looking in and you, and you may disagree and we'll, we'll have a chat now in a second but that's that's what the theme nights are that's I think for me that's why they work on the stage they're a community even the people that go to them uh, are a community they'll, they'll all be kind of like talk oh we had the last gig and we had this and you like this and it's it's almost like people feel a sense of community often and it's the same the time we went to Vicker Street it's the same every time we put a show on in the Hawkswell and it's also the same for them kids so yeah, I, I don't know. I think I think community comes across very strongly in your work, do you think? Yeah, yeah. And yeah, look, I, I'm not sure. Is it a, is it a conscious thing? Uh, as I say, look, on reflection, it may be linked to the experiences I had when I was younger and, and the value I placed in being part of a community and being the feeling of, of being part of something. Uh, and and I, I guess, look, Music, music is one thing, playing music, playing great music with great people, but playing great music with great people when you're part of a larger entity, that brings it to a whole new level. Do you know? Sure. And so yeah, sure. I'm, I'm not sure I consciously started these team nights with the idea to create that. But certainly as I saw it developing, I, I, I have been hugely mindful of maintaining it and not losing it. And there's so many ways you could easily make a wrong move or do the wrong thing or make a wrong decision or 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 treat someone badly and and the whole thing falls apart and and this community you know the the, the vibe just isn't the same and so i'm i'm always hugely mindful of 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 that and trying to maintain it and and preserve it you know now that i've seen the value of it and and what an amazing thing it can be this is it's almost more important than the music at this stage do you know and it's a testament to it though that like there's a couple of things going on in the team night. There's a couple of layers. I mean, you've got the audience, right? And they're all paying for their tickets and they're, they're expecting a good show and you always deliver. But you've also got a stage that's full of professional musicians who are there. You know, it's, it's, it's work for them and that's fantastic. But they also love being there. I don't ever see any of the professional musicians rocking into a team night going, oh, I'm just going to do this and get paid now. They're as much a part of the community as anything and everybody else that's there to sing a song or be in the choir everybody just really wants to be there no oh, that's, amazing. that's amazing you know and that's a beautiful beautiful thing and there's nothing exclusive about them either like uh, it's five years now since i asked can i be involved and i did one or two shows in the choir and it's you know it it's been the highlight several highlights of each year since is these team nights that roll around because that community is 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 just lovely. Everybody wants to be there, and you go out and you do your song, and you're surrounded by amazing professional musicians, and you come back into the dock, and everybody says, "Well done." And mm. the support is lovely. And as you say, it's you know it's a really special thing, and may it continue for many, many, many more years to come. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree, Luke. Yeah. 
Okay, well, I think um, that kind of sums up your line of questioning, Kieran. I hope that wasn't too 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 difficult for you. Um, yeah. Fair play, well done. Uh, but I wouldn't mind handing your roles back over to you now, as you step out of the interviewer's chair to interview or to introduce this week's. What are we calling it now? Well, Dave Flynn reckons that this segment should be called in. We called it Lamplight Pet Peeve, and he he reckons it should be called In the Rant Light. Yeah, I, which, I like that. Which I like. In the rant life. <laughs> so yeah, well, okay, Rory, thank you. And uh, yeah, I, I enjoyed that, lads. And, you know, it was certainly different to, to any interview I've done before. And I was hoping it would be because you guys know me to a different level than a lot of people who would be interviewing me. Sure. And uh, you, you found some interesting angles. And look, I, <laughs> I enjoyed I enjoyed the chats. Um, so to move on, uh, this is this week's In the Rant Light um, featuring a man who has ended up, like many others, here in Sligo, despite not having grown up here, uh, attracted by the music, among other things. Uh, but one thing he is not attracted to is Corley Vowels. <laughs> and, to, and to explain this uh, is Mr. Owen Troy. Hello, folks. So Kieran was um, asking me just to talk briefly about one of my pet peeves, my dad was a, a music man all his life and he loved singers like a good singer like Frank Sinatra or Bessie Smith or Peggy Lee or people like that. Always used to remark on a good singer had good diction. So that kind of rubbed off on me over the years, I suppose. It's something I thought about when I started singing myself, trying to ensure I had clear diction through my thick walk and sound accents. But the last few years, I have noticed a tendency towards what I've called curly vowels. And I really dislike curly vowels. So what that is, is I've noticed a lot of singers, they might be great singers, really good singers in tune, good pitch. But for some reason or another, they put these affectations on their on their vowels and, and elongate vowels. And you get these funny ew sounds and ee sounds. And I can't even say them. I, I don't know. And I, I tried to get my head around. It's very distracting when I'm watching a really good singer and they start using these unnecessary vowels and mangle the vowels basically. And the word becomes unrecognizable and it's distracting from the song. Not up to me to tell people how to sing, but if they want to sing that way, that's fine. I just find it very distracting and it gets me head up. And usually after a few points, sitting with Kieran, I start giving out about curly vowels. And that's why he's asked me to talk about that today. So that was Owen Troy with his uh, explanation of Corley Vills for anyone out there who uh, hasn't heard Owen talk about that before. And um, I think he was actually being a little bit diplomatic there. Um, <laughs> when, when, when you get Owen with, with a pint in Connolly's and, and ask him about the curly vowels, you'll get a much more... Uh, <laughs> a raw, a raw, a, version, a raw, of raw it. version of that rant, yeah. <laughs> but thanks a million to Owen for that. So... Um, that's been Kieran Quinn. Kieran, thank you for coming on and being a great guest on your own podcast. No problem, Luke. Look forward to uh, giving you the in the lamplight treatment next week. Yeah, we'll see how that goes. <laughs> that's next. <laughs> that's next week's problem. Um, so I suppose all that's left to say is uh, goodbye to everybody, and we'll see you next week. Goodbye. Good luck. <laughs>